millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And let's take a glimmer of good news and positivity from the Taoiseach Michal Martin and Barry reporting on this in the news this morning. The Taoiseach yesterday indicating that this is for the first time that the level five restrictions on outdoor activity on some types of sport on construction and also on allowing us outside the five kilometre rule of our houses could be eased from Easter Monday the 5th of April. Micheál Martin was speaking at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party last night and those four areas he said would be examined before Easter. Now obviously it's all going to be done in tandem with Neffet but up to this we all we had heard when the government announced the path ahead which was unveiled on Tuesday Everything was about we will look at it again and we'll review it again on the the 5th of April. But this is the first time that there has been a glimmer of hope that they are some of the things that they are looking at. Because I think the five kilometre rule, certainly yesterday on... um, People contacting us were saying that they wish that they could even just move around our own county, not necessarily that we can move all over the country. But some people do find the five kilometre rule very, very tough indeed. But as I say, Mio Martin speaking to the parliamentary party last night saying that, but he did say that it will have to be done in tandem with uh, Neffet. And I know that Neffet has come out in a letter to the government and they are saying that the government needs to proceed with extreme caution and that the restrictions can only be lifted when the vulnerable cohort of the population have been vaccinated. Neffet a warning that lifting restrictions too quickly could lead to another wave of infection. And I think we, when, we, when we do come out of this lockdown, I think people want to say that's it, that is the last lockdown. So from that point of view, you can see why Neffet have to be very cautious indeed but even just some easing of the restrictions from Easter Monday would be great, great uh, news. But Neffet, you know, pointing to the vulnerable cohort of the population and vaccinations are well underway for, we know we know now nearly everybody in our nursing homes and all of the staff in our nursing homes have been vaccinated. Most of the frontline staff have been vaccinated. The over 85s are continuing to be vaccinated this week and I've actually heard the ads go out now 
now the shout out is going out to the over 80s they're now moving from the 80 to 85 year olds your GP should be contacting you to get your uh, vaccine and I saw a fantastic photograph that's doing the rounds on some of the papers it's a a photograph from out of Reuters from Spain and it's a group of nursing home residents and workers all of them are fully vaccinated they've all received both of their vaccinations and they've been given the week to make sure that they are fully vaccinated. And this group of nursing home residents and workers are all attending a theatre show in Madrid and they're all seated. It was a photograph taken of them all seated inside in the theatre and every one of them are wearing masks. It's the only, you look at this and think oh there's a, they wonder what show they're out. Are they at the cinema? Are they at the theatre? Or where are they? But it was actually a live show at the theatre but every one of them are wearing masks but they're all sitting there and probably they're first time out at a theatre in about a year. But I looked at that and said then that should give hope to so many people. But I also think you know, fair dues to the Spanish authorities who've decided, well here's a group of people who are protected. Let's, you know they've had a tough, tough year. Many of them probably haven't been outside the door of their nursing home or haven't had family members in to visit them. So they took them along. Don't know what show or whatever they, they saw. And that sort of ties in with what we were talking about this week on the programme. The amount of calls we've had from listeners saying, when can I get in to see a much loved grandmother, a much loved mother, father inside in a nursing home and I know we had Sage Advocacy who advocates on behalf of older people and they are pressing the government, they are pressing Neffet to say okay we have everybody inside in the nursing homes now vaccinated do we now need to ease up on the restrictions around visitors to nursing homes again Sage are not saying open the front doors and let everybody in but sort of look to what other countries and we can learn from what other countries are doing I mean in the UK they are allowing nursing home residents to have one visitor is allowed in now, as far as I know the visitor needs to get an antigen test done just to make sure that they're not carrying the virus but they're allowed in people are wearing masks but they're allowed to hold hands they're not quite at the hugging stage yet but they are allowed a face to face visit indoors with their loved one and that's proving to be for particularly for the nursing home residents it's proving to be a big big boost to their mental health because you know nursing home residents have found it really tough and then to see this group of Spanish elderly people being taken out of their nursing homes and brought to the theatre I thought wonderful and I really do hope we here in Ireland will go down that kind of route and we'll start to look at the nursing homes and what we can do to ease the burden that they've had for the last year. I mean only yesterday a listener contacted me whose mother is inside in a nursing home. Mother is now fully vaccinated and this uh, listener is I'm assuming a nurse are working somewhere in the health department also fully vaccinated and saying, why can't we meet? I can't, you know, I, I'm fully vaccinated. She's fully vaccinated. But they, along with everybody else, we're, we still have the same level of restrictions on at nursing homes. And there was certainly no mention when we heard from the Taoiseach on Tuesday about our roadmap and our living with COVID. There was certainly no mention of nursing homes. So I think a lot of people would like to see some kind of easing uh, around that. Now, opposition parties are calling for mandatory hotel quarantine to be introduced for everyone arriving into our shores. Bearing in mind that between a thousand and three and a half thousand people are arriving into this country every single day day. Last week, for example, just into Dublin uh, airport, 10,500 people arrived, way down on figures that you would have normally 
in February and any other year but still people will say 10,500 people that's a lot of people and a lot of them were seemingly our own returning back from holidays so there's a big push now to say okay the government are seriously looking at hotel quarantining but we know the government what they are proposing to do will only force people coming from 20 named countries whereas opposition parties are saying hang on a tick every single person that gets on a plane that wants to come into this country should be made go into one of these quarantine hotels. The proposal is that they just people come from the 20 countries will stay in the facilities and they must stay for two weeks. The legislation has been brought it was brought before the doll yesterday by the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly. Opposition parties were in favour of hotel quarantining but they're saying that amendments need to be made to the legislation and that all non-essential arrivals should be put into mandatory hotel quarantine. And I imagine if you were to hold some kind of a referendum in the morning or some kind of a vote and you asked the Irish people, how would you feel about mandatory hotel quarantine? Would you be saying that everyone that arrives on our shore, once it's non-essential travel, should go into one of these uh, hotels? Or would you be with the government with just the, the 20 countries that they've identified? I imagine that the majority of people will be backing the opposition parties on this and saying if, we are, if we're going to allow airports to open, if we're going to allow people to arrive on our shores, then the very least we can expect those people to do is go into uh, quarantine. Now what happen is they go into quarantine uh, it will also uh, passengers can leave quarantine if they arrive into the country with a negative test and then they will have to have another test done on day 10 if that second test on day 10 is negative then they can leave quarantine the legislation also allows for somebody leaving quarantine for medical treatment or for humanitarian reasons. Stephen Donnelly, our Minister for Health, called the bill a radical piece of legislation. And I also listened with interest when he said he had spoken to the New Zealand Minister for Health who oversaw a similar measure in their country. And he said, we will undoubtedly face operational challenges just as they did in New Zealand. And he also said, we may not get everything exactly right from the very start. So we need to learn and to adapt the arrangements. Well, I just kind of think, Stephen Donnelly, I'll pick you up on that. If you've already spoken to your counterpart in New Zealand who have put hotel quarantines in place and they made mistakes at the start, then you learn from them. And the reason for that call is... What did you do right? What did you do wrong? And therefore, we should be able to get it spot on because we should take our lead from the countries and learn from their mistakes. But anyway, he's already saying that we may not get everything right from the start, which doesn't instill much confidence in me. And as I say, the opposition parties are jumping up and down uh, on this one. Sinn Féin spokesperson David Cullinan says limiting the measure to just the 20 countries, he said, wholly inadequate. He said people are making the sacrifices they are making and are being told that they cannot stray outside five kilometres from their own homes yet we are still not putting in place mandatory hotel quarantining for all of our international travel. How can that be the case? Labour's Alan Kelly said the bill doesn't go anywhere near enough. He said it's lax measures saying and he pointed out that Neffet recommended these mandatory quarantining for everyone arriving in this country and they recommended that back in May of last year. Alan Kelly says that the new COVID-19 variants are on tour at the moment. Solidarity People Before Profit TD Richard Boyd 
Barrett. He called the mandatory hotel quarantine proposals the latest instalment of total defective and failed policy from the government. He asked why politicians and diplomats are exempt from these measures and he made the point that I've heard some of our listeners say do they not carry the virus the same way as everybody else? Because when these restrictions are in, TDs, senators and our MEPs and any of our diplomats, they can fly in and out of the country and they will not have to quarantine. Procurement negotiations, and that has begun, so that's a piece of good news, uh, with hotel and event management sectors. They're looking at their they're sort of going towards one provider overseeing all the aspects of the quarantine facilities. So what that would mean, they'd get one hotel or group of hotels, they'd get the contract and then they would take full responsibility. And that would include things like transferring the passengers from the airport to the premises and almost frog marching the person into their hotel room, possibly also procuring tests for them while they are residents in the quarantine hotel. They would also be responsible for providing security on the site. And the plan, of course, for the scheme is that is to be cost neutral once it is introduced. And everyone would agree with it being cost neutral. I don't think in any way if somebody is deciding to fly into this country, be it you're coming back from your holidays or you want to relocate back into this country or for whatever reason that you're coming that is not deemed essential and you're put into a quarantine hotel, I don't see why the taxpayer or the exchequer should be funding any part of the cost of you staying in that hotel. So good to see that they're hoping that it is going to be cost neutral from as soon as it's introduced. And I also think it's the right move to give this to to go and get some kind of event management, some kind of a hotel group and say, OK, you're responsible for it and let them then go off and provide the security because there had been talk during the week that the Gardaí would need to be used to transfer the people from the ho- from the airport, take them from the plane through the airport and then bring them to the hotel. And, you know, everybody, including the Gardaí, saying what a waste of resources. I also heard calls that the army could be used for the security of the hotels. Again, is that not a waste of resources? If you're going to get a hotel or an event management to take over the running of these quarantine hotels then let them go and get private security and you factor all of the costs into what you charge the people staying in the hotels and you make sure then that it comes out as cost uh, neutral. So the plan is in place. The legislation was brought before the Dáil but it doesn't seem to be perfect. Certainly opposition members are not happy uh, with it as stands as what Stephen Donnelly announced yesterday. Some of the newspapers today are picking up on some of the uh, images, some of the photographs that uh, are that were taken by Irish photographers that are going to be honoured in the 43rd Press Photographer of the Year Awards, which obviously this year have to be staged remotely. They're actually going to be streamed online tomorrow night, uh, presented by the broadcaster Miriam O'Callaghan. And then as always happens after the event, after the winners are chosen, the following night or the following week on the Late Late Show, we get to see some of the winning images. So we can expect that on Friday night, tomorrow night as well, that some of the winning images will be shown by Ryan Tuberty. But the, I particularly want to mention it because Mark Condrum, a native of Castletown Roach, is has won this award so many times. Actually, it was last year he won it for the fifth time and he is again in there with a chance and included in the papers today is 
one of Mark's photographs and it's just when I was looking at the photographs today I could nearly have picked out the photograph because Mark Condren has the most amazing eye particularly when it comes to children and taking photographs of uh, children and it's just a striking photograph of a little girl you can't actually see her face it was a grieving granddaughter at the funeral of a man who died in a house fire I don't know where this fire took place but it's just a photograph of a little girl just with her head down over the coffin of her grandfather and just the grief in the little girl's body you can just I mean she's young I would say maybe six or seven it's just one of those heartbreaking photographs but it is just such a moment a snapshot and a moment in uh, time so that's Obviously, one of the photographs that Mark is in with a chance of yet again being named as the press photographer of the year. But as I say, he is a veteran of these awards for sure. So we wish Mark Condren from Castletown Roach all the very best of luck at the announcement of those awards tomorrow night at uh, eight o'clock. And then, as I say, you can tune into the Late Late Show tomorrow night to see some of the entries. And no doubt Mark's entry uh, will be shown whether he wins or not, because it is one of just those stunning, stunning photographs. John Paul taking your calls. 1850-333-103 You can text or WhatsApp us 0862-103-103 Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to CMIG.ie Now the parents of a special needs child in North Cork are pleading with the Department of Education to find a suitable secondary school place for their son in the local area. To share their story, Bill Sheehan from Rathgormach joins me. Good morning to you, Bill. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, it's your 13-year-old son, Ryan, who we're talking about here. I suppose start, Bill, by explaining what, what school Ryan is currently attending and how he's been getting on in primary school. He's, um, he's in Bartholomew um, Primary School. It's called Bishop Bob Ryan's. And um, according to his teachers up there and he's getting on extremely well um, he's doing well in um, in his social interaction and he's a bit, we will say he's in sixth class but he's probably doing um, the, the curriculum maybe for his third or fourth class because he is a bit behind um, so he needs he has the access to an SNA in Bishop O'Brien School in in Bartimi, which has been a which has been a major help to him. And the experts are saying that a special class in a mainstream school. Are the experts saying that this would be the best for Ryan going forward? Yeah. Um, in order to, um, you know. In kind of he being under the um, the autistic spectrum, he had to do um, he had to do a, a kind of a, an update on um, the way he was with his with his um, foundation, St Joseph's Foundation in Charleville back in July, and but the um, clinical psychologist back there, Patricia Vicario. And he's a school teacher, party, and and his principal at the moment are saying he's um, he's more suitable for a small class in a mainstream school. 
So, um, unfortunately, there is three schools in this area, and only one of them has that situation, uh, has that actual uh, provision. It's Kalosh de Crevine inside Infamai. So you have a school that has the class, so happy days, you applied to uh, enrol Ryan into the school. What happened then? I um, sent in the application back in um, back in August or September. I met the um, principal in there and he took the application and he said that um, that he would that Ryan was going in to do mix with with every, with everybody else. So I sat back for a while, but it was. In November or December, I was informed that Ryan was um, number two on a waiting list inside in uh, Kalarsa Creevine, that they had only 12 spaces. There was only three available for September 21, and that um, he was actually on a waiting list. uh, So as, in other words, he had no place to go in September. And Clarsh and Creevine are limited in that they have only so many places in that special class. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, so their hands in, are tied. In those classes, there's only six people. There's only six children can go into each one of the, those classes. And the principal insider have two of them. Now, he flagged it with the department, I think, back last year that there was a problem in this area, but um, he got nowhere. So I took the case up with um, Josepha Madigan. Um, she's the Minister of State for um, Special Education and Inclusion. And being honest with you, I would like to know her interpretation of the word inclusion. Because to me, um, she's not um, including the most vulnerable children in our society. If she can't cater for and she can't provide education to our most vulnerable, I, I personally believe she should not be in the job she's actually in. And then who suggested that you look at a school in Lismore, County Waterford? The um, CNO um, over Kalash de Crevine, um, her name is Marie Moriarty, um, she came on to me and said that the uh, Kalash de Crevine was actually full. But in um, Ryan's name into a, into a school in Waterford. Now, I did contact the school in Waterford and I spoke to an absolute brilliant uh, gentleman down there. Now, I'm not going to um, put his name out there, but um, I abs- he was absolutely um, brilliant. And he taught me his situation was he was only looking for names to see, you know, could he get an extra class from the Department of Education for... Um, for a small class for special needs children. But he rang me here on Monday night, and, and here is the crux of all this. There is 
three categories apparently in special needs. There's mild, there's moderate, and there's complex and severe. His criteria for his small class, if he got it anyway, was um, moderate or complex or severe. My child is under mild. So, 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 so Ryan wouldn't qualify for the class even if he got it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but, but even if he did, how far is Lismore from from, um, from Moy? I drove it. I drove it myself. Yeah. Um, from my door to the college is an hour and ten minutes. That's with me driving. Now I don't hardly ever take my child to school. Um, it's always my wife is it. She wouldn't be as brave as me uh, behind the wheel on by roads. Oh, okay. So it would probably take her an hour and a half to an hour and forty minutes. And we so don't want you taking any risks on the road either, Bill. Uh, by, yeah. by, by the way, um, okay. And while all this is going on, Bill, is Ryan aware of the problems? that you, as his parents, are facing trying to secure a school place for him? Yes, because um, I, um, on, on advice last year from, uh, from not people in education, but I explained to Ryan that he was under the, the uh, autistic spectrum. But I told him it wasn't anything bad, that he was the same as everybody else, but that he had to work. Um, just that little bit harder and that little bit different to everybody else. I wanted him included in everything. So he has heard me doing this and himself and his mother are arguing here now every day. He don't want to do any more homework because he has turned around to me and said, I'm not wanted in education. Why should I be doing homework now? I am not going back to Bishop O'Brien School in March when it opens. There is no point in I going back there when I have no school to go to God help in him. September. God help him. God help him. That's just, it is, is just dreadful. Have you contacted any of your local TDs to see if they can push forward the case for you, Bill? I'll tell you something now. I, I actually contacted our local uh, people um, that would be involved in the in the government on the first instance and the only one that came back to me was an, um, a brilliant guy below in Middleton David Stanton who is 100% behind the family now I was advised then as well to contact Pat Buckley of Sinn Féin who has also just come in just behind me and have said, like, what I can't understand is under Article 42 of the, of the Irish Constitution and Article 14 of the Youth Charter of Fundamental Rights, the right to education is widely regarded as fundamental. It's and, in our Constitution, and yeah. Pat Buckley have actually even said this, that Ryan is entitled to his, to his education. Okay. But All right. I know Josepha Madigan was a solicitor before she became a, a TD, but I would, I would ask her. And also, like, I mean, what is happening is they're actually bouncing it 
Um, just if Madigan got back to me and told me it was um, under the NCSE, I contacted the NCSE, um, Audrey O'Shea, and Audrey O'Shea basically said it was the, the, the Department of, um, of Education. So I, wrote, I went one step further this week, and I contacted a guy called um, Pat McKelvey. He's a director of the Cork ETB board. Because I was told he's the boss over Colossal Creevy, and he would be telling the principal in there what he could do and what he could not do. Uh, Pat McKelvey got back onto me and told me he knew of the actual situation. But my question here is, what are they doing about it? OK, all right. And we will stay in contact uh, with you, Ryan. is lucky to have you fight in his corner, uh, Bill, but it's, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace that you even have to get into this situation of having to go public in order to get what your child is. is you, and you're right about the constitutional part of it. He's constitutionally entitled to an education. We'll stay in contact uh, with you, Bill. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Bill Sheehan joining us from Rath Cormac telling the story of his son Ryan desperately trying to get a secondary school place for next September. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. One of the real heroes from the pandemic, personally for me, has to be County Mayo man, Dr. Mike Ryan, who is an executive director of the World Health Organisation Health Emergencies Programme, leading the team responsible for the international containment and treatment of COVID-19. Our own John Green this week has spoken to Dr Mike Ryan for his Where the Road Takes Me programme and uh, John Green joins me. Good morning to you John. Uh, Good morning Patricia. And you're very welcome. Now Dr Mike Ryan is an extremely busy man. How did you manage to track him down for the chat this week? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I have to admit that uh, the the lady that I have to thank for that is my late mother, um, because she always had this thing. When you wrote to somebody famous, um, if you just put their name and address on an envelope, it more than likely ended up with um, a secretary or a private assistant or a personal assistant and maybe never even got to the person in question. So she always insisted on addressing the envelope to the person, but up on the top left-hand corner, you had to, uh, as far as she was concerned, put private and very confidential. And that's exactly (laughs) what I did. And that's why I got the response from him. And you wrote and just said, "Would would you kindly join me? Would you give up some of your time to join me for a chat? Yeah, more or less. What I actually said to him was, look, I said, uh, here in Cork, um, both stations, 96 and C103, uh, we have more listeners than the national stations. But yet we have to fight tooth and nail to get big names for interviews. So please, just for once, make it easy on us. And would you like to join me on a programme that will not be about COVID-19 totally, but will be about yourself and how you came to this very high position in the World Health Organization. And I I didn't hear anything uh, for quite some time, and I gave up. And then about a fortnight later, I got got a response, an email from his uh, personal assistant and his secretary to say, oh, Dr. Mike Ryan will be delighted to do the program with you. That that, that is great. And have you been, like me, have you been a fan of Dr. Mike Ryan, particularly since the pandemic began? 
Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I think we should be very, very proud of him. And you know what? What came across watching him and listening to him speak is what a very humble man he is. And you know, he's really battling every single day for the underprivileged and the downtrodden. And my very first um, link with him uh, told me that I was right in that because I said, "Hello, Dr. Ryan. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it." And he said to me. Less of the Dr. Ryan now, because if you call me Dr. If you call me Dr. Ryan here in Geneva, nobody would have a bull's notion what you're talking about. So call me Mike. <laughs> and, and that was it. And of course, before his role at the World Health Organization, he worked in Iraq with what would have been his then girlfriend and now his wife. Yeah, that's right. And that's a lovely. Well, it's not a lovely. Well, it has a lovely ending and it's a lovely positive story. And I just want to stress that this. This interview on on Sunday evening is not an interview about COVID-19. It's about a man, but it just happens to uh, to be that this man is very involved in battling COVID-19. But yes, you're right. Um, he and his girlfriend then, his wife now, were in Iraq and they were there to train Iraqi doctors. Now, they also got the opportunity to work with some of the most experienced war uh, zone doctors in the world and Dr. Mike Ryan at that stage was a trauma surgeon, and that is exactly what he wanted to do. But while he was in Iraq, um, they were working so hard and in unbelievable conditions that after maybe five or six months, they were offered a weekend off and they were brought to some lakeside resort in Iraq. Now, mind you, just after they arrived in Iraq, nearby Kuwait was invaded, which made things a lot worse. But on the way to to this lakeside resort, and they were a bit worried about where they were going and would, would they come back. But on the way there, they were run off the road by a military convoy. And Dr. Mike Ryan had to um, be cut from the vehicle. He suffered very severe back injuries. And that basically put an end to his career as a trauma surgeon. And he came back to Ireland to recover. And while there, he had no work. And he was basically, now this was a trauma surgeon, ringing up hospitals around the county and around the the country, begging for work and actually offering his services free of charge just to get to work. And then somebody said, why don't you go and do uh, a master's in um, in infectious diseases. And that's what he did. And look where he ended up. Yeah, his life could have been so so different if that accident hadn't happened. He was one of the first in the world, I'm right in saying, to fight against Ebola. Yeah, I mean, he has done so much work. He's, he's worked in all the war, war-torn countries in the world fighting Ebola and fighting SARS. And he was saying to me in the interview that, you know, the people that are on the ground there are his heroes and so many of his friends have been shot dead in those places quite recently, only, I think, was it a week or a fortnight ago? So uh, he's been through the mill. OK, and I want to play just a, a brief a clip from your interview with him. And this is where Dr. Mike Ryan is talking about a word that we didn't, is now so much in our vocabulary, lockdowns. We speak about lockdowns almost on a daily uh, basis. But he's got a very interesting view on lockdowns. And this is from John's interview with Dr. Mike Ryan. But remember, there's a lot of countries in Asia that never had to go through this and have you know, from the very beginning implemented a comprehensive strategy with high levels of population compliance. And they've had been able to contain this disease and now are using vaccines to prevent any further uh, uh, re-emergence. So 
we also need to look at how did we get here collectively, uh, particularly in the developed world, um, in terms of the the ability to contain diseases like this. Uh, there's been a, a tension right the way through this event on you know how public health systems work and case finding and contact tracing and isolation of cases and quarantining of contacts and a lot of resistance to doing that. But the countries that have managed to do that, that have really focused on that, have avoided the worst of the lockdowns. Remember, lockdowns are a last-ditch effort. Lockdowns are what you do when there's nothing else you can do. And they're necessary because of that, but they're a last resort. Uh, So we've gone in Europe to the last resort three times. question is, as we come out of this surge, with vaccines now uh, in tow, can we be smart enough to avoid a fourth surge of, of death uh, and our hospitals filling up? Well, let's hope we can, Dr. Ryan. But I just think, you know, it is, as he says, it should be the last resort. And it seems to be our first yep. port uh, of call. He also, he, he doesn't believe the world prepared for the seriousness of the pandemic, even though they knew it was coming. Yeah, I, I asked him that and I, I, I put it to him. I said, when did you, and when I, when I mean you, I mean the World Health Organization, when did you become aware uh, that this virus was on the way and that it was as serious as it turned out to be? And he basically said, well, he said, I can look back at a photo- photograph of myself and look at it and believe that I may be too young to be drinking alcohol. And that's as far back as when we were shouting this from the rooftops. But nobody took it as seriously as we hoped they would. And nobody believed that it would arrive. And here it is. And, you know, they didn't listen to what we were saying. And now we're paying the price. Okay. Now, b- by the way, when, he's, when he speaks about we, he's not referring um, solely to, to Ireland. He's talking about Europe, the world, etc. Yeah. And you, you asked him, will we ever get back to normal? And the normal as we, we knew it before the pandemic. I did, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, he's he's also very hopeful and uh, about the outcome of this if we do things properly. And I did ask him, you know, do you ever think that we'll return? I mean, this is the this one of the most, I suppose, popular questions from people at the moment. When will we get back to normal? When will we be able to go to the pub, to go to matches, uh, to meet our grandparents, our parents, and hug them and kiss them, etc.? Uh, when will we be able to go back to to normal again? And what he said to me is. We, we we will, and it's not too far away if we do things properly and sensibly. But I believe, he said, that we'll go back to a new normal and a better normal where we'll have a liking, a love and a respect for each other and we'll have our priorities stacked in the right uh, order. Wow. That's what he believes will uh, happen. That's a, a lovely answer. And because he, he's based in, in Geneva with travel restrictions, I take it he, he doesn't get home that often. I wouldn't I wouldn't think so no unless yeah. that he has you know priority travel because uh, funny enough the the day that I recorded this interview for the program um I was to record with him at one o'clock and uh, that would be two o'clock in Geneva and I rang on the dot and I was told that his flight was delayed and I said oh here goes this isn't going to happen and then I got a call back again at 20 past one to say he has arrived and I was still worried because I said well he's behind time now he has more important things to do and he's going to cut this short and I won't have enough to fill a program uh, on where the road takes me and instead of a half an hour which I was told I could have with him he stayed with me for 45 minutes Terrific, terrific and uh, I, I knew in the background there was secretaries coming in and saying Dr. Ryan Dr. Ryan you know you need to be here you need to be there and he just waved him off 
Yeah, waved them off and stayed with me. So, yeah. so proving that he was enjoying um, his chat with you as well. Because he's become such a well-known media figure that I wonder sometimes, is he even aware of that? Yeah, I don't think he is, you know. Um, he is so uh, interested in um, the underprivileged. And he said to me, you know, he said, what's going to sicken me totally, he said, is if I see a photograph. He said, if I learn of somebody working on the front line in our medical services, contracting the virus and dying from the virus. And if I happen to see a photograph the next morning of a healthy adult being vaccinated, I will go berserk, he said. Um, so the under and his director general, who is Dr. Tedros, don't ask me about the second name, I can't pronounce it. But the director general said recently that um, nobody will be safe until everybody is yeah, safe. Yeah. And uh, that basically means that what he, he explained that to me, I thought it would be that, you know, nobody will be safe until everybody is vaccinated. But he said, yes, there's more to it than that, because it's not enough and it won't be enough if Ireland or um, Britain or uh, Germany or France get their own house in order. That's not enough because the virus will return. We need to ensure that people in underprivileged countries are safe as well. And until that happens, the no danger of... Uh, COVID-19 is returning. Yeah, no, one's, no one is uh, safe. Uh, Phyllis and Manway says, so looking forward to this interview with John Green and Dr. Mike Ryan. I always love his interviews. Straight and to the point, it almost feels as if you're present in the room. Bring it on, John Green. No better man for the job. And uh, Michael says, yeah, also, uh, I agree with you 100%, uh, Patricia. When Dr. Mike Ryan speaks, you've got to stop and uh, listen. We can be very proud of Dr. Mike Ryan and his wife, Marie, is also a professor of epidemiology and she also specialises in tropical uh, diseases. It will be very interesting listening. So it's Sunday night at 7, John? Sunday night at 7. seven. We're looking forward to it. Listen, thank you for that and thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. No Good. problem, delighted. Good morning to you. That's our own John Green. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Finbar in Glamour says, uh, this is in reaction to my chat with John Green about his programme Where the Road Takes Me next Sunday with Dr Mike Ryan of the World Health Organisation. Finbar says, spreading the good word of Dr Mike Ryan in all of our parishes can only be a good thing. Staying positive is the key. And that's from Finbar in Glamour. Thank you for that, Finbar. And then somebody sent me on a lovely little picture that says, never wait for a perfect moment. Just take a moment and make it perfect. Isn't that great? Never wait for a perfect moment. Just take a moment and make it perfect as we all do our very best to try to stay as positive as possible. And thank you for a lovely text in from Liam in Wilton, who is a young student doing his master's at the moment to become a secondary school teacher. Good luck with that, uh, Liam. Nervous about the virus, he said, even as a 22-year-old, he's staying at home, apart from the essential shopping runs, which he this can get quite uh, lonely but saying lovely things about the radio station and uh, the programme and I appreciate that uh, Liam who ends his text with take care and keep the groove going well you stay as positive uh, as you can Liam and you know we're, we're taking hope from the fact that the vaccines are in this country and they are starting to get into the arms of people and hopefully more and more vaccines will come on stream and will one day all be vaccinated and just on vaccines can anybody offer advice to this listener because I'm sure this listener is not on their own 
and somebody else may have the answer. It's this morning, Patricia, in relation to the vaccine. My mother is 93. She's housebound and very vulnerable. She's had multiple strokes. Now, she can't go to the surgery to get her vaccination. And when I contacted the GP, the GP says she can't bring the vaccine to my mother as the vaccine doesn't travel. And my mum's GP doesn't know when my mother will be vaccinated. Nobody's mentioning this group of people who are at very high risk and they can't get the vaccine. I'm hoping you will address this and bring it up uh, on the programme. And as I say, you're not the only one in that particular situation. I know that the HSC and Neffet came out and they were asked and they have been asked about people who are housebound who can't physically get either to a vaccination centre or can't get to their GP surgery. And they're they are constantly saying no one will be left behind. But at the moment, the vaccines that are being used for the over 85s, which is the category your mother falls into, unfortunately doesn't travel. If you can't physically get to the surgery or the vaccination centre, then there's nothing that the GP can do. The only thing I would imagine is going to happen, uh, but it's not going to happen too soon enough, certainly for your mother, is that when we get the OK for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the one that they say is going to be the big game changer A, because we've ordered so many and we're expecting so many of them to arrive in this country. But the second most important thing about about the Johnson & Johnson, it's a single dose vaccine and you can store it in the fridge and it does travel and GPs will be able to take a vaccine from their fridge and bring it out to those that are housebound and inoculate them at home. So I'm imagining when Neffet and the HSC are saying nobody will be left behind, that's what they're talking about. But that doesn't mean that your mother is going to get her vaccine in the coming week or even in the coming weeks because the Johnson & Johnson still has to be approved by the European Medicines Board. And then, of course, Ireland will decide that it's okay for us to use it. And it's going to be April, I think, before that vaccine starts to arrive. But we'll give it, I'm, I'm mentioning your comment to see and your query to see have there's others listening who are in the very same boat and what advice have you been given from your GP and have you been given any kind of a timeline on when people who are housebound when they can expect to be vaccinated. If anybody can offer advice to that listener, please do. And then Liz was on to us from Wilton. They're doing a clear out of a house. Uh, Obviously, somebody has passed away and the house has been cleared out. And there is an amount of what Liz describes as religious items in the house. Things like statues, large statues and photographs of the Sacred Heart and the Child of Prague statue and a number of religious medals and they're doing the clear out of the house and they don't want to just dump these items and Liz is wondering is there anywhere where she can drop them off? Is there any charity shops? And I'm sure charity shops in normal times would take these items from you but of course there are no charity shops open at the moment and as far as I know the majority of charity shops are not even collecting taking donations at the moment. So can anybody offer advice to Liz as to what she can do with these religious items like statues and photographs and medals etc. If anybody can help us with that we can pass the information on to Liz. Will you give us a call please 1850 And somebody else says that when I mentioned earlier Mark Condren the 
photographer originally from Castletown Roach and that he is yet again in with a chance of winning the Press Photographer of the Year and those awards are going to be announced tomorrow and we can expect to see some of the winning entries on the Late Late Show tomorrow night and I mentioned a particularly stunning photograph that Mark has in this year of this little girl at her grandfather's funeral her beloved grandfather died in a house fire somewhere I don't, to say, I don't know where in the country the photograph was taken somebody's saying where is that photograph what paper is it in that you mentioned well the photograph is actually in the Irish Independent today and that's who Mark works with but the Irish Independent today have about five photographs that are in photographs that are going to win awards as part of the Press Photographer of the Year awards so it's, five, it's some of the winning entries and Mark's one just happens to be included in that when it was actually in the papers I don't I'm, I'm not sure if any of his family are listening they might be able to tell us more about when that photograph when and where that photograph was taken and we once again wish Mark the best of luck in that competition tomorrow night OK back to living with Covid and all of that Hi Patricia When is this government going to quit talking and start doing. They've had almost a year now to get this pandemic under control and I feel they they are no further forward. I for one and I'm sure the rest of the country are beyond fed up with the lack of clear leadership. All people entering our country regardless of where they're coming from of course they must be quarantined. Uh, This should have been done last year. Our situation would be very different today if we had started quarantining. I remember Neffet recommended it back in May of last year. It would be a very different story, I think, if we had started quarantining back then. John says, Patricia, the quarantining hotels that the government are speaking about will be responsible for people coming back into this country. We have police in this country who can't keep people within their own 5K. How are these hotels going to work? It should be done military style with absolutely zero loopholes, says John. If he was in charge, that's what he would be doing. Joe says, Patricia, I was reading some of the UK news websites earlier. We in Ireland are the laughing stock. They'd interviewed some doctors who are working in general practice in Killarney. And some of them were saying they're still waiting for their vaccines. They haven't even started the over 85s yet. This country is an absolute uh, joke. Well, we're into week two of the over 85s and in fairness to them, the HSE did say it's going to take three weeks. So there is another week of the over 85s to be done. And we must be getting close to all of the over 85s that are able to go to the surgery. We must be getting close to all of them being vaccinated because we're now starting to run the ads telling people over the age of 80 the 80, 80, 81, 82, 83 and 84 year olds, they're now starting or will start to be contacted by their GP because they're going to be the next group as part of the over uh, 70s. But it's all dependent on how many vaccines come into the country. And as we know, we were down. There were 6,000 vaccines less to be administered this week, but we should be back on track again next week. So we will get there. It's patience, I think, is what everybody needs at this stage. John says, Patricia, if this government allow any international travel into our country without a mandatory hotel quarantine, then people here are being treated like fools. Maybe our government should get ahead of the next wave and do what is clearly roaring in their faces from the public. People are fed up with lockdowns, with the back door open, allowing travel in and out of this country, bringing new variants of the virus onto our island. 10,500 people 
arriving in Dublin airport alone last week. It is just a disgrace when we the people are not allowed beyond our 5k limit. Where are all of our local TDs on this? It is time to hear their thoughts and that's from John. And someone else says, Patricia, why do politicians never listen to their voters once they have been elected? The majority of people are very much in favour of mandatory quarantining for all passengers arriving into Ireland. Yet for some reason they seem to be stubbornly refusing to listen. Well, they have debated it. They are going ahead with it. But the problem that a lot of people are seeing is they've only selected 20 countries that are currently being proposed for hotel quarantining. But even though it's been discussed in the door, we still haven't got a date for when it's going to be up and running. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Ja, a different John says, Patricia, there's no lockdown going on here in Carrigaline. Every van driver seems to be driving on the back roads. Now, John says all, but you can't say that. Many, according to John, are on the pandemic pop payment and they're doing Nixers at the same time. We're all in this together was short-lived by some greedy people and there's no 5k down here. It's more like 100k, says uh, John. Not happy to see workmen out working. And can I play a request? I can. For Anthony O'Donovan from Skibbereen celebrating his 18th birthday today, coming of age and all of that. Happy birthday to you, Anthony, Mam, Dad and your sister Amy. Wanted to wish you all the best on your special day. C103 Jobs. Tractor driver required for agri-work that's in the Mallow area. Now, part-time may actually suit. Commercial accounts assistant required that's for McCarthy Insurance Group on the South Mall, while Alps Alpine in Mill Street. They're looking for a manufacturing technician with a minimum of three years experience in a high volume manufacturing industry and Windmill Nursing Home there in Churchtown. They're looking for a registered nurse. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. The Commission of Investigation into Mother and Baby Homes has retrieved backup tapes of recordings of first-hand accounts of the institutions having told the Children's Minister Roderick O'Gorman the previous week that the records had been destroyed and were not retrievable. Uh, Historian Catherine Cordes from Tume uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, Patricia. Pleasure. Well, I'm very, I'm very good. And it's always a pleasure to, uh, to speak with you. Firstly, were you pleased to hear that the recordings have been recovered? Well, of course I was. But uh, I suppose uh, it's very hard to know what's going on from, from one day to the next. And uh, I, I'm afraid I'm very cynical of the whole issue because, I mean, um, it, it's obvious. I, I don't think... Um, were those tapes destroyed at all? Were they just uh, trying to cover up again? Because uh, I felt the whole report right across the board, it was, uh, it, it was a shambles, really, right from the start. Because um, well, what, what I read about it, what I read about, I can only speak on the Tume issue, was that uh, I felt it was biased towards the religious. I felt it was inaccurate. I felt that they really promoted any bit of goodness they could find in in the uh, you know in the in the in, you know what, what when the when the survivors went there and gave their account that's the word I'm trying to think of 
And uh, I, I really believe that uh, it, it's the whole washout, the whole thing. And I find it very hard to comment on it, and I'm very, very disappointed in the whole thing because we put our trust in the Commission of Inquiry. We were told <coughs> it was a commission of truth. The truth would come out, and it was. I think it was very badly put together. I don't know who's to blame, but that's really and truly how I feel about it. And uh, just, it, you know, it, it, it's very... The whole thing is very upsetting, and it depends on what comes out of it. Uh, we, we, we're told we should know by probably the end of April, what the government are going to do for survivors. But I, all I know is right across the board, the people I'm dealing with, they were devastated with, with the report. And do they, do some of them very much feel, Catherine, that their voices weren't heard in the report? Oh, well, absolutely. Well, well that's what I'm talking about. Uh, even even for from my own experience, I went to quite a lot of trouble at the very beginning with when uh, Joe Jeevan Murphy came to Shum and looked around and uh, I gave her copies of absolutely everything I had. Now, a lot of what I gave her did not appear in the final report. Uh, vital information as regards the Shum home. I had uh, first-hand evidence on tapes, which I gave them from a woman who lived there all her life. But what they chose, there must have been about 15 chapters which I uh, transcribed for them. And in that alone, they decided to pick one chapter, which more or less gave a glowing report of the sisters and the home. Now, I can only I can only speak <coughs> from my experience and what I was disappointed with. There was a lot in those tapes that would have proved quite a lot more on how the children were treated, how the mothers were treated, and but that didn't appear. And that's why I say I found it biased. Yeah, the one that certainly stood out for me and for a lot of listeners picked up on it was this, the report saying that there was no evidence of forced adoption. That was the most, that was so, so cruel and no evidence of any abuse. Now, it was wrong. And uh, I know that surely to goodness that will be scrutinised again and looked into. But you see, I mean, the Commission aren't going to listen to anybody. It's uh, more, more than likely it's going to be dissolved. Uh, this weekend and where do you go to from there uh, I don't know they just seem to be a power until, upon themselves they they don't seem to listen to survivors now the survivors have been pleading and pleading for them to hold on another year and to explain why they did this but uh, it looks like they're not going to do that and where does that leave us I know there's a a bill being brought by the Social Democrats. They're looking to extend the commission of investigation yeah. beyond I think the. Ex- that's, o- that's overturned, isn't it? Has or it been like overturned? Oh. Well, well, that's what that's what I gather. That's the way the talk is going. That because it's not going to but, go ahead. No but matter. at least, at least now with the tapes, um, yeah. the this will help women to feel that their stories were accurate. They can prove that their stories weren't accurately reflected now that they have the tapes. Isn't that the case? Well, I mean, that's the whole point. They haven't got the tapes. They're going to the Minister, Minister Roderick O'Gorman. Now, um, what what power is he? Or will will he release them fully? That's going to be another kind of a kango as far as I can see. They're not going to make it that easy. I I would believe there's going to be more red tape because... That's all they do is bring in issues like that, bring in red tape. 
And I know there are about 80 out of the, what, 550 who gave evidence who are anxious that their names are never revealed. And that's fine. And that's not what this is about. Absolutely. Totally. It's the people who want their stories out there and they have tried to tell it to the media over and over again. I mean to say any of the documentaries or any of the newspapers from the the reports that and and the accounts of people, it's just so ridiculous to, to say that there was no abuse, it's it's in black and white, and it's it's on documentaries with with, uh, with survivors speaking, and I think it was the greatest insult to them ever, and the greatest hurt to bring out a report like that that minimised everything that happened to them in those homes. Yeah, it's you. Just, you feel for the women, particularly the women that were brave enough to go forward and talk, because that wasn't an easy thing. It was not because from the the, the tomb survivors that I've spoken to, they went in there and they poured out their heart and soul through tears and through, you know, through heartbreak and uh, expecting to see this, some redemption for them to come out. And then to say that, uh, no, there was no abuse in the homes and that they couldn't find evidence and they couldn't find evidence of forced adoptions, whereas it's, it's out there and it's there for them to see. And I don't know why the commission did that. I don't know why the language was the way it was put. And I don't know why they're literally getting off the hook by dismissing, you know, dissolving the whole the whole thing this weekend. And I'm quite sure it's going to go. And no, nobody is held to account for what happened. It's shocking if we're going to it end is. up looking back on this commission that yeah. has been got established in 2015. If we're going to look back on it in years to come and say what a great big waste of time that was. I know, exactly. A waste of time and waste of money all those years. And that, that that's all that could come up with because I, I don't know. I hope uh, I hope the group will the groups will keep pressing for, for something to come out of this, at least to get their tapes and at least just to prove once and for all that this is what we said and this was not shown in the, in the report. report. What is the latest on the mass graves in uh, Tomb, Catherine? Are you any closer to the remains being exhumed and given a Christian burial? We are at the stage where uh, it's, it's sitting in the uh, it's, it's sitting with the Oireachtas at the moment. It's, at least it's gone past cabinet stage. Now we were at the stage, as we know, uh, just in back in January 2020 until the, the doll was dissolved. Now we're just at the same stage, and we have put in submissions to the Oireachtas. Now why we have to put in submissions, I don't know, because already it has been stated that the burials in Tomb they're in a sewage tank. That has been proven. And that um, they, they were waiting for this legislation. It, it's an illegal burial. They still need. They're still telling us it has to be scrutinised by the Oireachtas people and concerned have to put in a submission to the Oireachtas to tell them why the babies must come out of the sewage tank. Now that in itself, just that sentence I've said there, they need they need legislation to take babies out of a, a sewage tank which who were buried illegally. And uh, that, that's where we're at. But wh- 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 why do we need legislation to take babies' remains out of a sewage tank? <laughs> that's a very good question and one I've been asking and, one, and something everybody has been asking um, over, over, over the last few years. It should have been done in 2017 when they were discovered. But however, what can we do? We go along with the government and we call it pageantry, which is a good word for it. And uh, I mean, we, we just can't do anything when you hang in there and keep pressurising the government into passing this bill. And it's, so the bill, bill gets needed. passed yeah. to say yes you can remove the remains and, That's then, right. and then what? 
And then what, uh, it'll probably be next year, they'll set up uh, a whole team then, I suppose, of archaeologists, maybe uh, to see who's going to oversee it, to see who, who, who to find a place to put the remains, to set up a DNA uh, bank, a, a database. But they'll make huge issue out of that. They'll talk about cost and they'll talk about time. And uh, But that, that's the government we have and that's what we're putting up with. And you want the babies identified and, and the families and survivors? Oh, want... well, absolutely, yeah. because there's families out there. And as we know now with the, with the progress in DNA, that is very, very possible, even with the little little bits and pieces that are left of the poor little babies. And uh, it, it's very, very possible to, to do DNA. First of all, just take a database from, you know, from the people concerned then to show that their DNA will match with those of the the babies then but they could be doing that now they could send out a test a DNA test for they could have that database yeah they could have that database already uh, set up and am I right in thinking that there are possibly a number of families when a baby is identified and the remains of a baby is identified that they'll want to bury those babies with their own that's the whole idea that's what they've asked and that, that is the whole idea. I've got numerous, numerous letters in in the last, since the final report, asking me the same questions. Can we give our DNA? We want it. We want to get our, back our little baby. So, uh, I mean, that, that's And the then situation. for babies who will, there obviously will be a number that won't be identified, Catherine. Yeah. Where yeah. would you like to see their remains placed? A little angel plot would be nice in the main tomb cemetery with the with the plaques. With the, I mean, the plaques have been have been uh, done for a good few years now. The bronze plaques we set out to do they're in storage, and you know we could have all those little plaques in an angel plot in the cemetery in tomb, and uh, just just a bit of dignity is all is all we're asking for. No, it's not much. And of course, the survivors and the, the families, but the survivors in particular, Catherine, time is running out for many of them, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is. And unfortunately, in tune, we've lost one of our group, a beautiful woman. She was, uh, she, was, she was coming up to her 70th birthday and uh, she was an absolutely beautiful woman. And she was waiting on this as well. And she got the news. She lives to get the news that... Uh, uh, you, you know that that, that uh, everyone apologised. She was anxious to get that. At least she got that, but she won't be there to see the final outcome. And she passed so, away. She did indeed. Beautiful woman. Ah, may she rest in peace. Listen, yeah. Catherine, you are continuing to be a mighty woman. Keep fighting the good fight, and uh, we'll speak again. Thank you for joining okay, us this morning. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. As uh, a mighty woman, that is Catherine uh, Corliss who is a historian in June. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Can I just, on vaccines, just a couple of texts coming in, particularly vaccines for the over 85s. Firstly, somebody says, well done to the doctors in Mill Street. They are vaccinating the over 85s. It's been done today. Our wonderful Dr. Casey, who was buried this week, would have been delighted. May he rest in uh, peace. So well done to all the good people in Mill Street, over 85, receiving their vaccines today. And then when we spoke about 
the listener who can't, whose mum is housebound, 93-year-old, been on to the GP who's explained, unfortunately, the current vaccines that they're using, they don't travel, can't get out to the house with the vaccine. Her own GP doesn't know when her mother will be vaccinated. And we're trying to find out, is anybody else in the same boat and have you any advice or have you heard how your loved one is going to be vaccinated? Here's somebody who did manage to get her dad out of the house. Yesterday I had to take my 90-year-old father to get his COVID vaccine. He's confined to a wheelchair, is unable to stand and has to be hoisted for all transfers. So is basically almost housebound. But they said, we'll get him out for the vaccine yesterday. Yesterday, we waited over two hours in the car park of the clinic for his vaccine. Apparently, to administer the vaccine outside of the clinic in the car park, you had to wait for the sixth vaccine in each vial. None of this, unfortunately, was explained to us when I was told I would have to bring my father to the vaccination centre. They had no idea if he didn't get the vaccine yesterday when he would receive a house call. If animals were treated like this, the farmers would be reported for cruelty. Says a daughter of a 90-year-old man wasn't happy with the way her dad received the vaccine yesterday, but they decided rather than wait, which is what a number of housebound people are doing, their families are taking that decision to wait until a vaccine can come. But there's another GP backing up that, that they have literally no timeline on if you have a loved one who is housebound on when a vaccine can actually physically come, a vaccinator with the vaccine can physically come to your house. As I say, I have a funny feeling it's not going to be until the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is available. But then the problem there is, will the Johnson & Johnson be approved for people over the age of 65? Because that has become the problem with the vaccinating of the over 70s is the fact that they can't use the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. It has to be either Pfizer or Moderna and that doesn't travel once they bring it to a vaccination centre or once they bring it to a GP surgery. It can't be moved anywhere else. And we're going to McCroom Garda Station for this week's Garda Fire where I'm joined by Sergeant uh, Emer O'Connell. Good morning to Emer. Good morning Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Thank now you. we start with the positive in that crimes are down probably to do with the times we're living in. Um, yes, crime-wise, all is very positive at the moment. Um, I suppose this is because people are working from home. There's a lot of homeschooling going on and I suppose all the additional checkpoints around the division, I suppose people are more vigilant about staying at home and staying within their five kilometres. And the checkpoints are proving to be good for detecting more than just people breaching the restrictions? Yes, even in the last two weeks, um, there has been six big uh, drug detections in the West Cork Division and one of these was um, out of a checkpoint where the members stopped a member of the public um, I suppose they were acting a bit suspiciously and found a substantial amount of drugs in the car on the person which was a great result Okay well done and the COVID checkpoints Emer, uh, they're continuing aren't they for the foreseeable future Yes they are going to be going on for the foreseeable fu- for the foreseeable future and I suppose we'd like to just thank the public for their cooperation and understanding of the job we have to do um, we would ask if people have letters from 
from their employers or re-medical appointments going to the hospital or going for COVID testing, that they would have the letter ready and in circumstances they could just hold this letter up to the window for the members to see rather than opening up the windows, I suppose, especially if they're going for the COVID test. Yeah, the, the COVID one is particularly import, important. And of course, if you're going for a COVID test, you will have a text message more than likely on your mobile phone. So you literally can just hold that up against the window, isn't it? And yes, hold yeah. it up or put it on the dashboard and just yeah. point to it and we, we, we will see it, I suppose, and it's just safer for everyone involved. And you just get waved on and you, you go on uh, about your business. Exactly. Now, there, there has been some thefts and this is something we've highlighted on the programme before Emer. These are the mobile traffic calming signs and the batteries. Yes, the mobile traffic calming signs and the roadwork signs um, of late a number of the batteries have been removed from these um, devices. It's very unusual. It happened a couple of months ago and it's starting to happen again within the division and within the southern region. So I suppose if anyone sees anything suspicious around the area, especially late at night, please contact your local guard station. The guards are out and about, so if there's something suspicious or just doesn't seem right, give us a call and we can check it out. Yeah, anybody tampering with any of those, it, it should raise suspicion straight away. There should be nobody near any of those traffic calming signs. Absolutely. If someone is parked up and there might be people hanging around, I suppose if it just seems suspicious, just give us a ring. And what's really annoying about the, the mobile traffic calming ones, the ones that tell you what speed you're doing, a lot of local communities have fundraised themselves to purchase those. Yes, and I suppose it's very disappointing then for the members within the community and they see these this being damaged um, or the thefts of the batteries. So I suppose it's disappointing for the members that have been so involved in raising the funds to put these in the community to keep the road safer for everyone. OK, people need to make sure their sheds are secure. Some items have gone missing from sheds. Yes, there has been reports, I suppose, of attempts getting into sheds or a chainsaw being taken from one shed that was left unlocked. So we ask people to um, lock their sheds and be more vigilant. And if people are asked to buy tools or machinery and they, I suppose it seems too good to be true and it seems too cheap, it probably is something suspicious. So if they're offered anything like that or someone calls door to door, especially during these times, um, contact your local guard station, take a registration number of a car and tell us. I suppose I'd also like to say if, they, if the members could keep um, a note of the serial number on any of the chainsaws or tools or anything like that they have or a picture if possible it would be a great help in recovering um, the items as well if they are taken or even put a marking on it your initials or something like that on the bottom of it that's always very good for us because then if they are found it's easier for you to return them exactly to, yeah. to, it, it, to the but person. on our system under the serial numbers so I suppose if someone brings it in then we'll be able to locate the owner much faster Fraud, uh, Emer, continues to be a major problem. Yes, unfortunately, I suppose in the last last number of weeks, there's been a numerous um, amount of incidents reported to us. We're averaging about one a day, and they are only the ones that are reported to us. So I suppose people are doing a lot of online shopping and ordering online at the moment. So I suppose ask people to be more vigilant and see where the emails or text messages are coming from. Um, if people are concerned about the, about the emails or texts, contact the company directly and have their package or order number handy. So I suppose just ensure the website you're ordering from is legitimate as well before you give your bank details. You wouldn't just leave your bank details out on the on the wall of your house. So I suppose if you're going pushing them up on the internet, you have to make sure that who you're buying from is is all above board. And then there's the text messages. I mean, I'd say there isn't a day goes by, Emer, that we don't get a listener sending in a text message saying, do you think this is a scam? Nine out of ten, you can clearly see straight away on nine out of ten of them that they are uh, scams. Never click on a link that you would get unsolicited by text message. Absolutely. There's a lot of them going around, especially from banks at the moment. Um, I myself got one from the AIB bank the other day to say that there was 
fraudulent activity on my account and to contact, to li- uh, press a link, I don't even have an EIB account. <laughs> so I don't even know how they got my number. So yeah. I suppose I was just more, I suppose, more vigilant. I'm aware of these things happening. So we just want to get it out to the public. If this does happen, don't um, uh, press on the link. Um, maybe ring the bank directly themselves. Look up the number themselves in the phone book or on the internet or call into the bank or, call, or contact your local guard station and, uh, and let us know what's happening. Domestic violence, uh, we've seen sadly an increase in reports of domestic violence during the pandemic. Uh, Emma, you very much want to reach out to women who perhaps are men that are listening this morning who find themselves in that situation. Yeah, I suppose um, with everyone being at home, um, you're everything being so much more restricted, maybe people unemployed, not being able to get out. We've noticed that domestic violence has definitely been on the increase the last couple of months. So we just want to let people know that the Gardaí are available 24-7 for advice. They can contact us. They can just maybe ring up and ask different questions, don't have to give in their name. There's also um, Women's Aid, which have a great facility um, they also have all their information in different languages. If anyone wants to go onto their website, that's the Women's Aid website, or they can contact them on 1-800-341-900. That's 1-800-341-900. And they can offer you advice, tell you about the different orders, and link you up with a local facility that can help you. And I suppose it's not just women who might suffer from domestic violence. Men also can be um, on the receiving end of domestic violence. So there is Men's Aid as well. We also have a website. Our contact number is 015543811. So 015543811. And they can put you in contact with a local branch. And when we spoke earlier about the 5K limit still being in place and the guard, the checkpoints are out. If you are escaping domestic violence, you can breach that 5K Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I suppose your personal safety is paramount. So just maybe contact your local guard station or tell the guard when you get up to the checkpoint the situation and and we will be there to help you. Um, I suppose also um, locally in West Cork, there is the West Cork Women Against Violence. They are based out of Bantry and they're very good as well to offer advice and I suppose to guide people through the court system and the different orders that are available and they also have a very good website as well. So that's West Cork Women Against Violence. Yeah, And in the North Cork area, Tiana, you are not alone there. They do the similar work, but they do it in the North Cork area. And then the Community Support Helpline that's operated by Cork uh, County Council. Are, the, are you very much involved in that at the Gardaí? Um, yes, we would have regular contact with um, the County Council in relation to this. I suppose any help or advice we can give them, we, we give as much as we can with the community cars that are in the different stations around the division. Um, the Community Support Helpline is one 805 719-1800-805-719. They also have an email of COVID support at corkcoco.ie. And I suppose this support is there to help vulnerable people living within the community are finding this lockdown um, particularly tough. They have a list of agencies that can help people such as Meals and Wheels, um, charity organisations and local volunteers who are there to help and assist people in collecting maybe prescriptions or maybe a cold drop or something like that, getting fuel into their house. They have a list of people that are there to help and also the Gardaí are, are strongly involved and we are there to help as well as much as we can. Yeah, and it's to get the message out to people that help is there and, you know, people can feel very isolated. I mean, you can ring, you can ring that one eight hundred eight zero five seven one nine 805 number 
even if they if you want to chat with somebody just because you're lonely and you're on your own they link you up with somebody but that's it exactly they might have a list of people that would be delighted to maybe speak with people a lot of people are in the same boat so they could maybe team you up with someone yeah. else that might be feeling a bit lonely and isolated at the moment yeah and and then on the practicalities as you say if you need shopping or you need prescriptions whatever it is it's a fantastic fantastic uh, service that has been uh, set up at by Cork County Council I know there's a lot of people involved uh, with it including your good selves yeah. listen thank you for that uh, Emer. have a good week stay safe perfect thank you very thanks much thanks for joining okay, us thank uh, you bye bye that is uh, Sergeant Emer O'Connell who is based at McCroom Garda station 1850 It is Thursday that means Jane Pickett our resident vet will join us after half past 12 today so if you have a pet question for Jane you can either get it into John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Thank you to Susan in Fairhill in the city who's contacted us this morning because Susan had contacted us earlier in the week. She was having a bit of a problem trying to get through to Cork City Council. Well, it wasn't getting through to Cork City Council. It was trying to get somebody from Cork City Council to come out and do a repair in her house. She had a dripping shower tray upstairs, but the, her problem was it was leaking down through into the ceiling of the kitchen and because of that she had to disconnect the light because she was you know terrified electricity and water so she was surviving without any light inside in her kitchen and she was getting nowhere with Cork City Council and she got on to us in absolute desperation to see if we could help out so we got on to Cork City Council on her behalf and she rang us back today just to say a big thank you and particularly to Cork City Council and to the workmen somebody came out to view it yesterday and the repairs are going to be done either today or tomorrow. So let us know, Susan, when the repairs are done and you will have light again in your kitchen and your shower will start dripping. Glad we could be of help to you. But well done to the City Council because they reacted straight away when we contacted them. Now, DJ was on to us to C103 Cork on our Facebook page. He is suggesting that the five kilometre rule that we're currently living under where you can get out and do your exercise but you can't go any further than five kilometres, he thinks that that seriously needs to be looked at and he's thinking and his reasoning behind it is confining everyone to stay in their own 5k has people walking on top of each other particularly I suppose in very built up areas and he says what he's noticed of late children and teenagers in particular they're all out and about in groups whereas if they were back training he reckons you wouldn't have half of them out gathered in groups it would give them a focus and give them something to do and he reckoned proper supervision on fitness training in sports clubs is way better than what's going on at the moment so he's suggesting get the young people back training and I'm sure anybody listening in any of the GAA clubs any of the camogie clubs any of the soccer clubs any of the swimming clubs would be thrilled to hear you say that they'd love to have the children back and I think parents as well would love to have their young people back training because many many of them miss the training but he reckons it would free up areas then for other people to get out and do their exercise by way of walking but he does feel that the the 5k rule should be uh, lifted well as, as I mentioned at the top of the programme there is some kind of a light at the end of the tunnel listening to what Micheál Martin had to say at the parliamentary party meeting that when we go for the next review and when which is due for the 5th of April and the 5th of April is the bank holiday Monday, isn't it? It's Easter Monday. So it'll be the week before that we'll be hearing what's going to happen 
and it will all be dependent on Neffet and their advice and it will all be dependent on where we are from a numbers point of view with COVID-19 and that's where we all play a role by abiding by all of the rules and regulations that are there at the moment and keeps pushing down the curve, flattening the curve once again and trying to keep the numbers as low as possible. And if the numbers continue to fall, and they are falling, I know it's, for a lot of people, it's too slow, but certainly we're doing well in here in the south. We're doing well in Cork. We're doing well in Kerry. If we can keep the numbers as low as possible, that when the government and NEFET then government will take on Neffet's advice, it will mean that come the 5th of April, we'll have some relaxation. I don't think we're going to be throwing open everything and that all doors will be open and that we'll be back doing everything that we were doing before lockdown. But there will be some relaxation. And if we had even as much as that, that we would be allowed to say travel anywhere in our county. I think a lot of people would see that as almost manna from heaven at this stage. Or if young people were able to get back training or some people were able to get back, maybe play around at golf. Those who like tennis get out and have a game of tennis. That if we had some easing of restrictions, I think it would give people a little bit of hope. And actually talking of easing restrictions, and I would, I'm give this out to see how other listeners feel about this. It's a barber from up the country. Is he from County Roscommon? He is. He's urging the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, to allow hairdressers and barbers to open just for a two-week period. And he said, by doing that, you'll kill off what is now being anecdotally, I think, but everyone seems to have a story about it. The black market that's going on when it comes to hairdressing and hairdressing appointments and people calling to people's houses and people going into back doors of hairdressers and uh, barbers. And we know at this stage, listening to the Taoiseach, that hairdressers and barbers, it could be at least April or May before they reopen. So this gentleman, a guy by the name of Robbie Connickton, he's owner of Barber Bob's in Athlone in County Roscommon. And he said out of pure frustration, he this week decided to write to the Taoiseach and to members of Neffet. And he just requested that just for a two week window that they would allow barber shops and hairdressers to open. And he said, If they allow us to do it, he said, we can all operate safely. But he reckons the big plus side to it is it would kill activity within the black market, he said, which is actually contributing to the spread of the virus. So he reckons there would be a plus side to it. And he said that when his own barbershop was allowed to open, he said there wasn't one single case of COVID-19 linked to his shop when they were open. So he said it can be done. Safety measures could be put in place and he's not saying allow us to open and to stay open. He said just give a two week period. So they would say we're, we're at the 1st of March next Monday. So the thought pattern would be that Neffert and the, and the government would decide, OK, for, say, the first two weeks in March, hairdressers and barbers are allowed to open. So you'd go and you'd make an appointment and you'd go along to your hairdresser or your barber and you would get your hair done. Now, I imagine that there are a number of people listening to me who dearly want to get their hair done. We were talking about this in the office this morning and the last appointment anybody could have got would have been Christmas Eve. Didn't 
most of the hairdressers and barbers opened on Christmas Eve and then once they closed up then on Christmas Eve that was it we went into the lockdown right, right after Christmas so the 24th of December so we're now over two months since people went to get their hair cut so a lot of people are saying yeah the hair is getting a bit long I certainly could do with the cut and that's if you were lucky enough to have had an appointment on Christmas Eve many people would have been at the hairdressers or the barbers say earlier in December so they could be three months now without a haircut and people are trying to do hair colouring at home others are just going grey waiting for the hairdressers to open so I take it if they took this gentleman's advice and decided okay let's just give just for two weeks people can go and get their hairs done I do know there'll be a lot of pluses to it I think a boost to people to have your hair done there's something wonderful about walking out of the hairdressers with your hair done particularly if you were desperately in need of a cut and I'm thinking the entire population that hasn't managed to have their hair done is desperately in need of a cut so I think that would be a real positive but I do think this barber is right it would kill off the activity in the black market because it seems there is a lot of it going on. Now, I know there was one, it, was, it wasn't a hairdresser, it was a beautician, wasn't it, up in Dublin decided to open. And, you know, she publicly said, I'm opening. I think she opened on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. She said, I need to pay my bills. And the Gardaí arrived. I think she got the first day. I think she got Tuesday out of it. The Gardaí arrived yesterday. She's all over the papers today. She got uh, arrested and charged for breaching COVID guidelines, as did the customer that was in the shop uh, with her. So, but she was very public about saying that she's opening up, whereas there are a lot of other people who are not being public about it and they're doing it and we're, we're hearing it all the time. Certainly on this programme, we're hearing from people to say, yes, they know of someone. They know of a hairdresser who's going around to people's houses or is having people into their houses. And it's the same with beauticians uh, as well. So would you be with that barber from Roscommon just for two weeks and they would do everything? They would abide by all of the safety measures that they had in operation and any of us that went to hairdressers when they were allowed to open will know how well they worked, how well they operated. And I don't know what the stats are. I certainly have read, didn't read any statistics saying that hairdressing salons or even beauticians, that there was massive clusters and massive outbreaks linked to hairdressers and beauticians and barbershops because they are so, they're so clean anyway. I mean, you would never, you wouldn't go back to a hairdresser or a barber if you went in and said the place was dirty. So they've always been very clean. But then you add to that the extra layers that they put in place, like everybody wearing a mask, the hairdresser, the barber wearing masks and visors and people being hand sanitizers, only allowing so many into the salon at any one time, people well spaced out. So they would open under those very strict guidelines that they, that they opened up beforehand that they would do it the same way. So that, that's what this guy is suggesting, that they would do it for a two-week period. As I say, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Somebody says, Patricia is Patricia at Lone is in County Westmeath, not, not Roscommon. Do you know, do you know <laughs> when I was reading that out, that this barber, Barbara Bobs in Athlone 
and the newspaper that I read it out from said County Roscommon and that did go through my head God, I think Athlone was in County Roscommon so it's obviously it's a typing error or the journalist thought that Athlone was in County Roscommon or unless there is another Athlone but the Athlone we all know is in County Westmeath you're right so thank you for pointing that out uh, to me so your thoughts on that would you like to go and get your hair done just a two week period hairdressers I'm sure would step up to the mark they'd have a very busy two weeks I have to say with everybody trying to uh, get in but it would stop the activity kill the activity in the black market and this barber is making the point that if you have people who are going around from house to house then there's a danger there that they could actually be spreading COVID-19 again not intentionally but if they're moving from house to house to house it's very possible that they could be spreading it at the same time 1850 some of your thoughts coming in to do with Catherine Corliss who we interviewed in the last hour who was talking about the tomb babies someone is saying when they exhume the tomb babies the bodies do we not need to name the fathers of those babies as well very possibly. Uh, but if we could get a DNA database done up now, so at least that we could find out, because the mothers are there, there are mothers already saying, I know my baby is buried there. Or there are families to say, I know my aunt had a baby there and the baby died. And these are families that want to take the remains and bury them with their own people. And Mag says, hi Patricia, terrible, terrible to hear about the tomb babies. And in particular, the delays in giving them a decent human Christian burial and the case of Philomena whose baby was taken away from her without her consent and then given for adoption in America. Some barrister or solicitor or somebody should be listening and taking the survivors names, the baby's names and not allow the government to silence them says Mags. Well I know one of the reasons for this bill that's been brought by the Social Democrats they're trying to extend the commission of investigation into mother and baby homes because they are due to expire next Sunday February the 28th and the there's a bill uh, going forward even though I must check Catherine Corliss thought that it had failed I must get that um, checked but the idea if they could extend the remit of the commission and don't have it expire keep it in place the extension it would allow survivors to launch a judicial review against the findings into the report because part of the findings in the report are being widely contested by the women that went forward and said that wasn't what I said or I did say something and it is not mentioned in the report. So if the commission is gone and it's finished with then the survivors would not be able to bring a judicial uh, review. So there are certainly legal teams trying to work on it for sure. 1850-333-103 on vaccines. Patricia, the FDA in America has said that the Johnson Johnson vaccine meets all of the requirements for emergency use authorisation and yet we are still waiting on the EU. This is what everyone is saying is going to be the game changer. Actually, somebody else was on about that as well. Tim and Mallow says, Patricia, why can't somebody please tell the EU to get their finger out? The US, as Michael has just messaged in, has already passed the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and yet the EU are saying they won't even consider it until mid-March. So we've at least another two weeks for them to make their consideration. And any bets that it will be passed in two weeks' time? Of course it will. Both our government and the EU are a laughing stock. No wonder people are getting so fed up 
with them both. And that's from Tim in Mallow. Olive is just completely fed up with the government. She said it is a medical pandemic and they're arguing over who to put into a quarantine hotel, who should go in and who shouldn't go in. I just give up. Hi, Patricia. Why can't that lady who contacted you about her 90-year-old mother who is housebound, why can't that lady go through her GP to get the vaccine to her mother's home the way the nursing homes receive it? She's already been on to the GP, but the GP has told her, as indeed any GP that you contact would tell you the same thing, that the vaccine doesn't travel, that once the vaccine arrives at a GP surgery, it must be given out at the GP surgery or at the vaccination clinic and the vaccination centres that have been set up and that's the problem. It's because of the type of vaccine that, that they are using. They're not making house visits with them. Will that change with the Johnson & Johnson one? I'm thinking that it possibly will. Somebody said it's unreal the amount of non-essential shops that are open in the Wilton area. How can we get rid of the virus with this kind of carry-on? Surprised to hear if there's non-essential shops still remaining open. Hi Patricia, now here's a lovely positive one. I got up today, thank God. I'm happy about that. I'm in lockdown and I have been since March of last year. I'm so annoyed listening to all of the complaints by some of your callers contacting the programme. Would they just ever be happy that they got out of the bed today? We're in a pandemic, unpredictable situation. The government in effort are doing their best. Stick with the plot, folks. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I can't wait, by the way, for my vaccine. Thanking you, Patricia. Have a nice day. And can you, will you please have a nice day uh, too? And someone else says, I just heard on the news that the Bishop of Cork is concerned about the loss of money in all of the diocese owing to uh, COVID. Not a word about families who are really struggling at the moment. What a pity the church didn't think of all the harm that they did to unmarried mothers that you were talking about with the commission into the mother and baby homes. Why didn't they think about them over the years? It makes me so mad. And by the way, I am in my 70s. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions, please, for Jane Pickett. Our resident vet will be joining us and you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non emergency and non medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. World Wildlife Day will take place on Wednesday next, the 3rd of March, and the Cork Nature Network is inviting all to join Professor John Quinn from UCC via Zoom where he will be giving some fascinating insights into the lives of birds. To register this free event, you simply log on to eventbrite.ie. And a reminder that Dara Community Centre are hosting Community Garda Damien White from Bandon Garda Station on their Zoom webinar that's happening tonight at 8 o'clock. He'll be speaking about internet safety and bullying, as well as crime prevention Farm Safety and a lot more. For more details, you can log on to the webinar by checking out Dara Community Centre on Facebook. And sorry, that's Wednesday. Sorry, that's Thursday, the 11th of March, that that is actually going ahead. One that is going ahead tonight is Dublin historian Liz Gillis. She's speaking on Women of the Revolution at the monthly Zoom lecture of Dukas Clonakilty Heritage. That's tonight at nine. You request a login by emailing Dukas Lectures and Field Trips 
at gmail.com. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. On the hairdresser and the suggestion from the barber in Athlone, and before I get to some of your comments on that, a number of people have pointed out when I men- mentioned the piece, I said in the article I read as Lone County Roscommon, and somebody quickly pointed out, Patricia, I'm now a tick. Athlone is in County Westmeath. It's not in Roscommon. Well, a number of people have pointed out Athlone is actually in two counties. The town itself is divided by the Shannon, Westmeath on one side and Roscommon on the other side. So it's correct to either say that it is in Roscommon are in Westmead and someone else said yeah lots there's another text in saying parts of it are in someone else had another example of it says I think that a part of that loan is in Roscommon it's like Bally Desmond some of it is in Cork and behind the river some of it is in Kerry says uh, Jim so you can either say it's in so maybe this particular barber shop is in the County Roscommon site is where Athlone is rather than in the Westmeath side. So thank you to a number of people pointing that out. But just on his suggestion, he's written both to the Taoiseach and to Neffert to say, would you just let us open up for two weeks? We could get rid of the black market by doing it and also to give people a, a lift. Hi, uh, Patricia. It would probably be a good idea what this barber is suggesting, but I would suggest if they do go ahead, ahead with it, then restrict it to haircuts only. Don't worry about the wash cut and blow dry don't worry about the colouring and all of that you would literally just go in and get your hair cut and nothing else Anya in Malice says I agree 100% with that barber in Athlone I feel hairdressers have very good safety measures in in place so I feel they are safe you have more risk of catching the virus in a busy supermarket than you would inside in a barber or, or a hairdresser and they already came out didn't they a few weeks ago in effort and said that the number of cases coming out of supermarkets so on you you do make a good point Deirdre is in Skibbereen says all we ask is for our hair to be done we're not asking for much and it would give us a great boost I believe it would as well Alma says I got my hair done in July I was due to get it done on the 30th of December but they were closed oh goodness me my heart goes out to you on that one Liam in Passage said I used to live well that's all about Athlone all being in the in the same one what county it's actually in and Tom says everybody needs to stop talking about the virus now it's a beautiful day outside the sun is shining people need to get out and start enjoying the fine weather yeah and we'll take it for as long as it lasts we'll get out there and get a walk in good news if you're a fan of the comedian Tommy Tiernan and his Saturday night show. It's been the highlight for me, I think, on a Saturday for the last number of weeks when I realise it's Saturday and you go, what's on the TV? Oh, Tommy Tiernan is on. And I will be the first to say I wasn't the biggest fan of Tommy Tiernan because of some skits that he did a number of years ago. There was one where he kind of poked fun at the children coming over from Chernobyl that I just took grave offence to. And there was another skit that he did about children with Down syndrome that was a really really unfortunate skit to do and it upset so many people and because of that I remember I took an instant dislike to the man and I said I would never go to see any of his shows or anything and if he was ever on the TV I said I wouldn't be watching any of his comedy stuff but then he started doing the chat shows and I'm telling you I have a new found admiration for him and I think his chat show is 
absolutely fantastic. And the format that it takes where he doesn't know who the person is and they sit down and they just chat. And I think his style of interviewing is incredible. And those long pregnant pauses where he allows the person to develop their thought or to develop their emotion. And I think one of the huge keys to what has now become a really popular show for RT1 is the fact that there isn't an audience present. He used, I mean, he was doing the show, I don't know when he started it, a number of years ago, but there was always an audience. And I think the key to the success this time round is it's just him and the guest, and there's obviously a couple of cameras there. But to the guest, I am at, and of course, everybody is socially distanced. So even if the people are behind the camera, they're away from the person. And I imagine that the person sitting opposite Tommy gets to think, this is just a chat I'm having, that it's just two people having a chat. And if you're just having a chat, I think that's why so many people open up and end up. How many times have, have I watched the programme where I've heard people say, I've never spoken about this before. I've never spoken publicly about this before. And because there's no prep involved in it, Tommy didn't know the right questions to ask to get the person to get this story out. So it's just, it's incredible. Anyway, the reason I'm mentioning it is it has been announced that the show is to be extended for an extra six weeks. I think it was due to come to an end next month. And now instead it will roll on for an extra six Saturdays and it will go on until Saturday the 17th of April. So if, like me, you're a fan of that, as I say, I do think it's, I think it's the format of the show is brilliant, but I just believe it's the way, it's the style of interview and it's one of the few. You will never see that on a chat show, be it on radio or on television, where he allows those silences. And sometimes the silence, you know, it can be, I mean, a silence in an interview like that on TV, even three seconds of silence sounds like an eternity. And there was one, was it last week or the week before, there was one silence that really went on where a young lad was composing himself and he just gave him the time to compose himself so that he could then say whatever he wanted to say next. It's it's genius. It To me, I think it really is. Now, it mightn't be everybody's cup of tea, but if you are on social media, Twitter in particular, while that show is on, or if you look at it the next day, the amount of people who are relating to the programme and relating to his style of interview is just absolutely incredible. And it is often the guest's who you haven't a clue, you know, the name will be said of somebody and you look and think, who's this person? You haven't a clue who it is. I thought like last week, the strong man that came on, never seen that man before, didn't know his name, knew nothing about him, as indeed neither did Tommy. And he got the really great stories out from him. Then along with sort of the more, the Brian O'Driscoll one, I thought was a genius interview, as was the, the one with Stephen Ray and the Philomena Begley one last week was another lovely interview. So, yeah, so I'm certainly happy and delighted with that. It's been extended for an extra six weeks. If you, as I say, if you're a fan of Tommy Tiernan, it's the highlight for me on a Saturday night. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. 
Egg foil mock quid then and here is Farlane. Shaw eight thrower C one oh three air kirkig. Is there in devil yastung gahiraho Elizabeth Fort? Agasterter Gwicha or Shandus the Sample is far the rune reltoch on Shachtu Hishdiak. Kigger at Togoche Harnablianta, Hogalord on Dun on Giatlaw Ria Fos Lefeshkint, a Togoch a do sporter, Sivlian Shadiak Sahayan, when Saltas Rarkana Untoha Erchahar Kurki o Ali Nununta, Agas Tog Truss Hunfalum Vestaran Duin. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Agus na cahirach. Hodesh na green grafadoirach da unkochaun. Marsin na fog gan selfie hogan. Nukta, quid dena neha is Fari Gorkig, C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now brings you even more music variety. music variety. We've just launched a brand new radio station. C103 Anthems. Playing the biggest songs of, of, of all time. Exclusively online. C103 Anthems. To listen to C103 Anthems, download our phone app, ask your smart speaker, or go to c103.ie. C103 Anthems. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now, before we go to Jane, Mary in Fomoy has been on to us with a rather strange problem to do with her landline, and she's contacting us to see, has this ever happened to anybody else? She is with, she's a customer with Air, and no one can get through to her on her landline if they ring from a mobile phone. If they ring from a landline, no problem at all, the phone will ring and you can chat away. But if people ring from a mobile phone, then they're simply not getting through to Mary. Now, she did manage, two people managed to get through in a mobile phone, but coincidentally, the two people that rang her were on air mobile. So she's totally unsure what's going on. She's got on to air and an engineer is coming out but she's just wondering has anybody else ever heard of it happening and John Paul said he put it to the test and he rang from a mobile number on the 3 network and he rang Mary's phone uh, to 
to get a message saying the call cannot be connected. But when he rang from a landline, he was able to get through. And air are saying it could be a line fault, which seems bizarre. If there's a fault on the line, you would imagine it would be a fault with every single call connecting. But she's getting landline calls. She's getting mobile calls as long as it's an air mobile. But everybody, anyone else on any other mobile can't get through to her. I have never come across that one before. Keep us posted, Mary. And if anybody else has heard of that happening before, then let us know, please. 1850-333-103. We are looking for your pet questions, please. You can give John Paul a call or you can text or WhatsApp your pet question to 0862-103-103 because Jane Pickett, our resident vet from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And how are you doing? Oh, I'm not too bad with the sunshine outside. We can't complain, can uh, we? Ah, uh, it's just great. It's just great. And are you, uh, from a veterinary point of view, are you busy at the moment? Busy, busy, yes. Um, we are indeed, certainly with the small animal, there's kind of a steady plate of busy all of the time, but now spring is kicking in. So all of those large animal calls. So it's the time of year where calvings and lambings happen and the associated work that goes along with that. So it's a busy time of year for everyone involved, but it's why we do the job. We Look, love it. Well done, well done. Tess is wondering if I could ask Jane the vet, are there any vets doing reduced neutering uh, for cats? She has a stray wild kitten, which she's captured during the bad weather. Now she said, she's not looking for it to be done for free. She is willing to pay, but she's wondering, is there a reduced scheme for the neutering, particularly of feral cats like this? She said, it would break my heart to think of this little cat having a litter of kittens kittens in a ditch and yeah you're doing the right thing and trying to get the cat neutered uh, Tess well done are they, they, I know every now and again there are schemes every now and again there are um, to my knowledge in our local area certainly kind of do hollow area there hasn't been any recently that I've been aware of my, by recently I mean in the last few years at least um, it's a little bit hit and miss depending on what area you're in it's worth asking your local vet if they are aware of anything. The likelihood is if they're anywhere near us, the answer is probably going to be that they don't know of any schemes running at the moment. But, you know, you don't ask, you don't get, so you may as well ask. Yeah. Um, I think well done for trying to get it new because we do really, really need to control the exploding feral cat population. So it is the best thing, not only for the cat population, for that little cat's health as well. Because there's a they, staggering you know, number. Isn't there a staggering number, uh, and I know we you see the figures every now and again how one cat having a litter of kittens and if that litter of kittens is allowed to have kittens and on and on and on and very quickly you can be have a huge number of kittens born all from one cat you can and it's a staggering number now I don't have the number on the tip of my tongue but it, it certainly runs into one unusual cat through a domino effect can turn into 100,000 cats or there or thereabouts um, which sounds crazy, but it's the way it goes. Like these, these little cats can reproduce up to almost every five, six months. Like they have that capability. Uh, and certainly when they're out and about, particularly feral cats, where they will be in contact with tom cats, that's what happens. And every single one of those unusual kittens goes on to get pregnant and, and kind of contribute to the problem as well. And as well for their own little cats' welfare of pregnancy, although it is quite safe, it does come with complications. 
so unnecessary pregnancy is certainly something to be avoided from a cat's welfare point of view as well. Okay, and that goes for the Tomcats. Neuter the Tomcats as well, please. Okay, hi. Uh, Question please for Jane, the vet, if she can help. We have three hens and for the last few days, two of them seem flat. Not coming out of the house, which they normally do. They're just picking at their food. There's no obvious injury. They're three years old and by the way, none of them have laid an egg for about a year now. They eat layers, mash and rolled oats. Thanking you for any help. Okay. Now, I'm no expert in chickens. I'll put my hands up and say that first of all, first and foremost. However, what I would say is chickens are a prey animal. Let's say if we go way back into their roots of, of their kind of place in, in the, the animal kingdom, they are pre-programmed to hide every little bit of illness they have until they can't anymore. So they're incredibly stoic animals. They will trot along, pretend they're absolutely fine, and they can be quite sick before they'll show us any signs that they're unwell. It might be something and nothing, but my gut feeling in this one is I would attend your vet with those two chickens, um, even if they're just a little bit off colour, because a little bit off colour for a chicken can really be the... <laughs> it's really getting to the point where they can't hide their symptoms anymore. So sometimes they can be quite ill. Cats are very similar, actually. Cats, cats tend to... They'll you know, play along, pretend they're absolutely fine, but they're very much not. Um, so I think with these little chickens, I would attend your vet to have a full physical exam. It might be something or nothing. It might be overcautious, but I think it will be the best thing to do. And they do, they can stop laying and then go back to laying again. They can take a time yeah. out, can't yeah, they? Yeah, they can. Yeah. They can. It's, it's very much dependent on diet and environmental factors uh, and their age as well. Um, as they do kind of produce down their laying over the years. But yeah, they, they can kind of come in and out of lay as it were. Stay with cats. Kathleen in the city is wondering how long on average can a cat live for? Oh my goodness. Um, the oldest cat I've ever known was belonged to a friend of mine in the UK. He was called Gandalf and he lived to I believe it was 22 years old. <laughs> um, yeah that's so old. They can go for quite a while. Yeah. They can live <laughs> well into their teens. They can. Yeah. I, I would say kind of average that I would encounter would be, let's say, a lifespan of 14, 15, 16 would be kind of the the oldest I would regularly see. But they can certainly go for, for a long while. My own little cat um, who passed away not that long ago, she was, I think, about 19, 20, where right. we're trying to reverse engineer the date. So they, they can go for quite a long time. They're lovely little animals. OK, so it is a big commitment if that's what Kathleen is thinking is. about in, in, in getting a, a cat. And again, yeah. on the, since we all cats today, uh, what would Jane suggest putting on grass to stop cats using it as their toilet? Now, I don't know if this is neighbours' cats or their own cats. Mm-hmm. If it's neighbours' cats, um, what do you do? And I'm not going to lie, it's not the easiest thing to solve. I know nobody wants them peeing on flowers uh, or pooing in, in the in the beautiful borders, but sometimes that's the perfect environment in their own mind um, because sometimes they can dig it up and they can bury their scent and it's, it's a fabulous place in their mind, but not for, for you. So I would say there are products that you can put on lawns and on borders that are pet safe but it'll give off a very nasty smell that they wouldn't want to be around. Um, there's plenty of different brands on the market. Speak to your local vet or your local pet shop as to what they have available. I know the one that we've recently stuck is called Get Off, um, and it comes in little gel format. The one thing I would say, though, it's it's difficult to get them to stay away from it because it's something you have to constantly reapply because they'll get wise to it if it's just not there for a little while, and that's their favourite spot, and they'll just start going there again. 
it's not an easy fix, I'm afraid. Yeah, they're smart animals. John in Clonakilty has an unusual problem. My dog is a terrier. Recently, he won't pee in the garden when I leave him out. Now what I have to do is I have to bring him for a walk and then he'll do his business. Why is this? (laughs) So, um, it could be two things. It could be that he just needs maybe a little bit more activity for him to be stimulated to realise he needs to pee and poo. Um, some dogs and cats need to actually move quite a lot. So there needs to be a bit of body motion so that they get the guts moving from the pooing perspective, but from the peeing perspective, so they, they realise that, look, before I go and do my little run now, I've realised I need to do a pee, so I'll do it now. And that's generally what happens on walks. Um, so maybe a little bit more activity out in the garden, maybe a little bit of playing ball if that's appropriate for your dog um, might help to speed things along. But the other thing it could be is that if, let's say, you're letting your dog out into the garden and as soon as he does his peas and poos, you're like, right, back inside, that's kind of ending the fun for them. Uh, I know it's really tempting, particularly when the weather is bad, but sometimes they might associate with them, let's say, peeing or pooing with that signals the end of the fun and they have to go back inside and be bored again. So the next time your dog or cat, the dog pees outside, um, make a big fuss of them, best little boy in the world, give him a little treat, and then keep playing with them. Do something really exciting afterwards. Play ball or, you know, play a little tug of war. Do something fun afterwards for five minutes before you take them inside, just to break that cycle. So it, it could be either movement or the, let's say, signalling the, the end of the fun, but give both a try. Hi, Jane. This is from Anne. Is it okay to give dry cat food to foxes? Leaving it in the garden, oh. obviously, for them. I wouldn't be their natural diet by any any stretch of the imagination. But I can see that it will be a massive problem. Um, I think the, ma- the main thing is it's, it's meat-based and it should be a complete diet. So I don't see that there will be any problem. If they're wild foxes, it's probably not going to cause a, a major amount of upset. Um, but I suppose like any animal with changing or, changing or supplementing their diet, there's always the risk that they might get a little bit of a tummy upset. But I think if I, if I were you, yeah, cat nuts, something like that wouldn't be the, the worst thing in the world. What can I use to keep a dog away from pipes? Something like a spray. Would you have any suggestion? Oh, dog away from pipes. To be honest, um, the safest bet is probably just like restricting their access to the area. So putting, let's say, a fence or a barrier in the way is probably going to be the surest bet. Um, similar to, let's say, making sure they don't pee on the on the grass, you could use those products, that you, let's say the sprays or the, the gels or the little crystals that you put into gardens to keep them from peeing and pooing. That might keep them away from the area to a degree. Um, but I really think a barrier will be the safest bet. So some kind of barrier in the way so they can't get there. Okay, a Marion's household are after getting a new pet. It's a Cocker Spaniel. They're trying to crate train the puppy. They have the puppy two weeks now. Everything's fine during the day, but when they put the puppy into the crate at night and he realises everybody's going to bed, he starts, he starts whimpering. How long will this last for? Okay, well, first of all, congratulations on your new pup. It's a really exciting time. Um, it sounds like they're doing a lot of good things. Um, crate training is a really helpful thing, but I think the main things with crate training are make the crate a really positive place for your pet to feel safe in. Make it into their little den. Feed them inside there with the door of the crate open. Leave the door of the crate open so that they can go in and out as they wish until you need to close the door, let's say, overnight if that's what you're doing. Make it a really safe place rather than a sad place where they're restricted. That needs to be their safe safety net, essentially. 
Um, otherwise, I think overnight is always a challenge. The whimpering can last a little while until they settle and they know that there's a routine in the household and that people will be back to them in the morning. Other things you can do is you can let they leave, um, let's say, radio on in the background, just really low, not loud or boisterous. Something that's going to be very ambient overnight, so talk shows or classical music, something like that, can be a really helpful thing to do, just to so it doesn't sound super quiet after being nice and noisy with the family all day. Um, but I think the main thing is, don't be afraid to go and comfort the pet if they are distressed. Um, you need to be their kind of source of comfort, source of security. So if your pet is distressed, until they settle, maybe just pop down, give them a little cuddle, settle them back into the crate and pop back to bed again. But I think things will settle eventually, but they do need comfort. These are small, young animals um, and they were with their mum until very recently. They're lonely. So you kind of replaced that role. Yeah, they're so lonely. OK, that's where yeah. we leave it. Thank you for that, Jane. Have a great week and we'll talk next Thursday. You too. Thank bye you. bye, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the uh, Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark Malone is with you for the afternoon. He's sitting in this week for Nick Richards, and we are back with you uh, tomorrow morning at ten o'clock. And I can see a number of texts have come in. Unfortunately, come in too late for us to get to uh, today. But I promise you, we will re- read them all when we go off air. Until tomorrow at ten, I'm Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the. Rest of your Thursday and stay safe. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.